Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 is what we'll open with. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I have this on the screen. For you are all children of Yahweh through faith in the Messiah Yeshua, and all who have been united with the Messiah in baptism have put on the Messiah like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. KJV HCSB says Jew or Greek. I'll cover that tonight. Slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in the Messiah, Yeshua. And now that you belong to the Messiah, you are the true children of Abraham. You are His heirs. And Yahweh's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And Yahweh bless this word to our hearts. We began to look at this last week with the phrases male and female and slave or free. There is no doubt that males and females still exist in the congregation of the Messiah. In Paul's day, slaves and masters existed. If you read Paul's epistles, he gives exhortation to masters how to treat their slaves and slaves how to submit to their masters. I talked about that last week. Paul's point is not to teach zero distinction in gender or zero distinction in social status, but his point is to teach zero advantage or superiority in value and in salvation. A man is not valued more than a woman in Christ. A master is not valued more than a slave in Christ. And a Jew is not valued more than a Greek in Christ. We're all one, meaning equal in Christ. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you came from. Because you have a new status in Christ. You could have come from the biggest high-rise apartment in New York as a millionaire. And you could have come from the lowest poverty-stricken area in a third-world country. If you are a believer in and have been baptized into the Messiah, you have put on new clothes. None of those old things matter. No ethnic, social, or gender status gives you any advantage in Christ. We are all one. That's Paul's point. So today we come to another phrase that contains opposites. In Christ, it doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Greek. There's been a lot that's went through my mind in the last 20 years about these terms Jew and Greek. I've grown up believing in the Bible. I was blessed to have Christian parents. And so there's never been a time in my life when I have not went to church and I have not known about the Bible. That doesn't make me any better than any other person. That is a blessing that Yahweh has given me. But it wasn't until I was about 16 years old, I'm 37 now, and I've been studying the Bible since I was about 16 years old diligently. I cannot give you a day, a time, or a place to where Yahweh put that desire into my heart. I just know that ever since then, I have never been the same. And I can't stop studying His Word. I can't stop thinking about His truths. I can't stop reading the Scriptures. 
So there's been a lot go through my mind since I was 16 years old. And I went from vaguely understanding the terms Jew and Greek at that time to then later on in my 20s to thinking that the term Jew only meant Judah and the term Greek only meant the divorced house of Israel, the ten northern tribes as opposed to the two southern tribes. It was not until I decided to start studying and teaching through the book of Galatians that the proper sense of the terms Jew and Greek were understood by me. It had been in the Bible all along, but I just could not see it. Sometimes the truth can be right in front of you, but you can't see it because of bias or tradition or upbringing, etc., And this is why we all need to take the time to focus on entire books of the Bible for lengthy periods of time. It does not do any good for us to just quote snippets or believe snippets of the Bible here and there. Or go to the Bible. A lot of times I see this. People go to the Bible with a concept that they already want to believe. And because they already want to believe that particular concept, they try to look for verses to prove themselves right. One of my favorite cartoons, I have a picture on my phone, is this guy that he's laying down in the living room floor and he's looking at his Bible and his wife is looking at her watch saying, hurry up, honey. And he says, hold on a second, I'm looking for a verse to fit my preconceived notion. (laughs) You know, this is why I take the time to teach through a book like this. I know it takes time. I'm at the end of chapter 3. This is my 38th sermon through the book of Galatians. I laugh when some of y'all poke fun at that because it's funny. It's a funny joke. But if you pay attention, every sermon is different because every sermon is about a certain select few Bible verses. I wished that a pastor would have taken the time to teach me like this when I was a kid. I wished I could have sat in a church and not had somebody scream at me so much, but instead teach me from the Bible. And so because I wish that that was done for me, that's why I take the pains to do it for you. I love you guys with all my heart. I want our time each week to not only be encouraging, it should be, but I want it to be educational. I want you to be exhorted and built up when needed. I want you to be rebuked when needed. You can be rebuked in love. Yahweh chastens us, Yahweh rebukes us, Yahweh disciplines us, and He does it because He loves us. So I want you to be uplifted and encouraged, and I want you to be educated and exhorted and rebuked when needed. It's very important. If you don't get nothing else out of this sermon, it's important that you spend time studying the Bible. You're not going to understand everything just by spending one hour in the Bible. You're not going to. You're gonna, it's going to take a lifetime to the day that you die. You constantly study the Bible. You read it sometimes and sometimes you study it. Sometimes you get stuck on a verse or two or three verses and you spend time in them verses for weeks or months. Or like me, I've been in Galatians now for over two years studying this book. Once again, that doesn't mean I know everything about it, but I've got a pretty good handle on what Paul is talking about here in this epistle. But it's because... I've spent time. Anything that brings forth good fruit takes effort and takes time. 
People don't progress in the natural or the spiritual overnight. It takes time. Very important, brothers and sisters. Very important. So, in reading and studying and teaching through Galatians, I've come to learn that the terms Jew and Greek are used by the Apostle Paul to denote, one, those who were circumcised and grew up in the law. That's the Jews. And then two, everybody else. <laughs> That's the Greeks or the Gentiles. So those who were circumcised and grew up in the law, and that would include females. I know that the Bible only teaches male circumcision in Genesis 17. That's where it begins to teach male circumcision. But when I say those who grew up in the law, I'm talking about also Hebrew females. Those that would have been considered to be observers of Yahweh's law. Those who were born to parents in and around Jerusalem in the area of Israel that would have never known anything else except Yahweh and His commandments and His Torah. Okay. Now, it is certainly true that divorced and scattered Israelites from the northern kingdom can be included in the term Greek or Gentile. But that does not mean that the terms Greek and Gentile means a divorced Israelite. doesn't mean that. They can be included in it. Remember when Yahweh divorced the ten northern tribes of the house of Israel and sifted and scattered them among the nations, they lost their name Israel, they lost their status as Israel, and they became amalgamated in with the pagan heathen nations. And thus they became known as Greeks or as Gentiles. That's not what the word Greek or Gentile means. The words Greek or Gentile in the epistles of Paul denote the opposite of a Jew. We learn this right here in Galatians 3.28. If male and female are opposites, and they are, and if slave and free are opposites, and they are, then Jew and Greek are also opposites. A Jew is someone circumcised who grew up in the Torah, and a Greek is anyone else that has not had that in their life. This is how we learn what words mean in the Bible. One of these days I will do a Bible lesson or lessons, maybe a month of lessons on word studies in the Bible because it is needed badly in the church world today. You do not learn what a word means in the Bible by just picking up Strong's Concordance and looking at the definition given. That is a good place to begin that is a bad place to finish. You learn what words mean by noticing the context in which they are used. You look at other words, concepts, and phrases that surround that word in order to determine what a word means in a particular context. Now this may seem simple, but think about the English word bat. If I just say bat to you, you don't know what I'm talking about. I could be speaking of what a baseball player holds in his hands. And in that case, I would be using the English word bat as a noun. I could be talking about the baseball player going up to bat. So I slightly changed the meaning of the word and used it as a verb. I could be speaking of an animal that flies around at night and sleeps during the day. And I could be speaking of how a person may bat their eyelashes. You do not know which one I'm referring to until I use the word bat in a sentence. I give the word a context and the meaning of that one word becomes apparent in the particular context in which it is used. And it's the same way with biblical words. 
You cannot assume that a word's original meaning is always its real meaning or the meaning in the text that you're studying. And you cannot always assume that the current meaning or modern meaning of a word is always the real true meaning of that word in the text in which you are studying. You define words by the context in which they are used. And when you do this, you will rely more on studying an entire text of Scripture than just looking up a word in a Hebrew and Greek lexicon. In the case at hand, the word Greek is only used twice in the book of Galatians. One use is here in Galatians 3.28 where we see it is the opposite of a Jew based on the context. A Greek is someone who did not grow up serving Yahweh. It did not matter if the Greek person had some Israelite ancestry from the northern kingdom flowing through their veins. Once again, those people were divorced from Yahweh and became just like the pagan nations into which countries they were scattered. They were not Israel anymore. They lost that name. And a Jew would look at anyone other than their own as dirty, impure, and unclean. If you were not circumcised and you did not grow up following the Torah, you were not one of them. That's what Greek means in Galatians 3.28. It does not mean somebody from Greece. It does not mean that somebody who speaks Greek even Jews, circumcised Jews that obeyed the Torah often spoke Greek. No, Greek here means a heathen. The other use of Greek in the book of Galatians is in Galatians 2 verse 3, a passage I've been over in detail. So I won't go through the detail again, but it goes right along with Galatians 3.28 where Paul writes, but not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul recounts an event where Titus came to Jerusalem with Paul to meet with the elders about the gospel that he preached. Galatians 2.3 shows that Titus was uncircumcised. He was a believer in the Messiah. He was uncircumcised. And he wasn't forced to be circumcised because of the false brothers that were teaching him that physical circumcision or becoming a proselyte Jew was required for salvation. So Paul didn't cave in to that false gospel, that perverted gospel. He didn't force Titus the Greek to be circumcised, showing that Titus the Greek was uncircumcised. That's the point I want you to notice here, is that Greek equals uncircumcised. Somebody that didn't grow up in the Torah. Any male that was uncircumcised was looked upon a heathen by the Jews. And Paul's gospel was that heathen men could be equal with the Jews by placing their faith in Yeshua the Messiah while still in their uncircumcised state. We also see in Galatians chapter 2, let's look at this context here. Remember Galatians 2.3 mentions Titus the Greek. Galatians 2 verse 2 shows us that the words Greek and Gentile are used synonymously. Galatians 2.3 calls Titus a Greek. Galatians 2.2 speaks of Paul preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Same thing as Greek. They're used as synonyms. Galatians 2 verse 8 says, Paul writing, For he, this is speaking of Yahweh, who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised, was also at work with me, Paul, among the Gentiles. Circumcised and Gentiles are opposites. 
Verse 9 goes on to say that the elders of Jerusalem agreed that Paul and Barnabas would preach to the Gentiles and that they would preach to the circumcised. That's the Jews. That's opposites. In Galatians 2 verse 15, Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now Paul goes on to show that all men have sinned, but the point is, is that Jews considered themselves different from Gentile or heathen sinners. People that did not grow up keeping the law. People that did not learn the law of Yahweh from their parents. Greek and Gentile are words used in Galatians and in many other places in the Scriptures, I might add, to denote people who are uncircumcised, uncivilized, and in many cases, they have no ties to the Torah, the temple, or first century Jerusalem. The word Greek does not mean a divorced and scattered Israelite, neither does the word Gentile. That is an incorrect understanding. And I'm thankful that Yahweh has corrected me of that. And He did so simply by taking more time to study His Word. Have you ever been corrected just by studying the Bible? A lot of times I'm corrected by listening to another man teach or talking one-on-one -on -one with a person or a group of people sometimes discussing the Scriptures and light bulbs go on and I understand things better or I correct myself. But there's been times when I've just from reading and studying the Bible right. saw where I was in error in what I thought. This is one of those cases. I'm thankful that Yahweh's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Amen. So when Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew or Greek, he is speaking of, listen to this, Paul is speaking of no ethnic hierarchy because they both have had faith in Christ they have both been baptized into Christ and thus they have both put on new clothes nobody makes it to the kingdom in their old clothes nobody makes it to the kingdom because they who, of who they are in the flesh the old man we all have to put on the new man in order to make it to the kingdom of Yahweh now Jews would normally view themselves as superior both ethnically and religiously to the Greeks. And Paul is saying here in Galatians to the Judaizers, he's writing this about the Judaizers, he is saying that the Gentiles, the uncircumcised heathens, they lose all of their baggage when they come to the Messiah. They are equal now with the Jews because the old man has been washed by the blood. And make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, Israelites had to be washed by the blood too. They don't get in because they are of Israel. They must be washed by the blood. They didn't get in the family of Yahweh by being an Israelite. They had to believe in Yeshua. They had to be baptized into the Messiah. They had to put on new clothes as well. And if they did not put on new clothes, they would remain in their sins. No Israelite has the right to be called a child of Yahweh if he rejects or she rejects the Messiah. First chapter of John teaches that. Only to those who believe, to them he gave the right to be called the children or the sons of Yahweh, even to them that believe on his name. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, which is another epistle of Paul, we have a parallel to Galatians 3.28. 
We must remember, here's another thing about Bible study. When you read a book of the Bible, you don't just read vertically up and down, you read horizontally. And by that, I mean that you read other epistles from the same author in which he may speak of the same concepts. So Paul may talk about something similar in Colossians or Ephesians or Philippians that he does in Galatians because it's the same person. It's like when you read the Gospels, you read the book of Matthew, but you can also read the book of Mark and Luke and John because they all talk about, a lot of times, the same things. Well, here in Colossians 3, we have a parallel to Galatians 3.28. Listen to this carefully. Colossians 3, 9 through 11, reading out of the HCSB. Paul writes, Do not lie to one another. This is why. Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. What Paul is saying is this. Since now you're in Christ, since you're in Messiah... Don't act like you used to act when you were the old self. You put on the new self, so now you act differently. Verse 10, You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. See, brothers and sisters, there are some Bible verses that talk about how that we are saved, present tense. There are other Bible verses that talk about how that we are being saved. It's an ongoing thing. And then there are some Bible verses that talks about how that we will be saved, even endureth until the end. Okay? This is talking about an ongoing thing. We're being renewed. Yes, Yahweh renews us when He gives us a new heart and a new mind, but it's a process. And I'm so glad that He's working on me because I'm not finished yet. I still see things in me. I still see burrs that need to be sanded off and problems that need to be helped. But I'm being renewed according to the image of my Creator. Verse 11. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now here, Paul uses circumcision as a synonym with the Jew and uncircumcision as a synonym with the Greek. This is one of those times I was talking about before. But then he goes deeper into the word Greek by speaking of two other groups of people who would have been under the category of a Greek or a Gentile or a heathen. And these two groups are the barbarians and the Scythians. And Paul says in Christ there is no more barbarian and there is no more Scythian because Christ is all and He's in all. A barbarian certainly means a foreigner or a non-Jew, but it goes deeper than that. It refers to an uncultured people, an uneducated people, an uneducated class or ethnicity. Paul shows this in Romans 1.14 where he writes, I am obligated both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. The Greeks often were considered wise people, not wise spiritually, but wise because of their education. And the barbarians were considered foolish or unwise because they were uncultivated, they were uneducated, they weren't schooled like the Greeks were. Paul also uses this word in 1 Corinthians 14, 11 when he's writing about the gift of tongues. And he writes this, Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a barbarian to the speaker. And the speaker will be a barbarian to me. Notice how he uses barbarian in the context of one who does not have knowledge. It's like if I'm out on a job and the customer is speaking their native language 
from another country. And I don't understand anything that they're saying. I'm a barbarian to the speaker. The speaker is a barbarian to me. We don't understand. We don't have that education to communicate because we don't understand or have that knowledge of that language. So barbarians were considered Greeks or heathens, but they were a lower class of heathens. People who had no education. But Paul said, in Christ, there is no more barbarian. In other words, uncultured, uneducated, uncultivated people. In Christ, they're equal with the most pious Jew that existed in the first century. Let's go even deeper. Paul also talks about the Scythians. We have the Scythians mentioned in Colossians 3 verse 11. And what Paul does here is he goes even lower than the barbarians. If you didn't get his point about Greek, he went to barbarian. If you didn't get his point about barbarian, he went even lower to the Scythians. And the Scythians, listen to this, the Scythians would have been looked upon by the Judahite Israelites as the scum of the earth. They would have been the most uneducated, criminal people known to man. They were known as the savage, the wild, the rude, and the uncultivated to the utmost extreme. Vincent's word studies on the New Testament says this in regards to the Scythians. Mr. Vincent writes, quote, Hippocrates, around 400 B.C., describes them as widely different from the rest of mankind and like to nothing but themselves and gives an absurd description of their physical peculiarities. Herodotus, around 450 B.C., describes them as living in wagons, offering human sacrifices, scalping and sometimes filleting slain enemies, drinking their blood, and using their skulls for drinking cups. When a king dies, one of his concubines is strangled and buried with him, and at the close of a year, 50 of his attendants are strangled, disemboweled, mounted on dead horses, and left in a circle around his tomb. End of quote. This was the Scythians. And if you lived as a Hebrew back then, if you lived as an Israelite back then, or a Jew back then, and you knew of these people, the Scythians, you would see a wild heathen, pagan people. It's so funny. And when somebody has an agenda or a doctrine to hold on to that they love more than the Word of Yahweh, they'll go to great lengths to hold on to it. But I read a lot this week, and I read one particular article that this fellow was trying to say that the Scythians were Israelite people. And it totally misses the point that Paul is making in Colossians 3. Totally, It does not matter if a Scythian had some Israeli blood running through his veins. That's not Paul's point. Paul's point is that this is the lowest of the low. These are the people you'd look at as the scum of the earth. These are the people that you'd see and they would make you think they need to be thrown under the jail. Those people need to be wiped out. That's who the Scythians were. But here's the beauty of it. Brothers and sisters, there were Scythians who had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Wild, savage, drinking your blood after they kill you, drinking your blood out of your own skull. Those type of people can be redeemed. They can be redeemed. Don't ever think that somebody can't be saved. Don't ever think that somebody is too far away from the grace of Yahweh. The grace of Yahweh is that powerful that it changes wickedness. It changes vileness. 
the author of this epistle was a murderer before he came to Christ. He murdered Christians thinking that he was doing Yahweh a service. And he felt terrible about it as we read in his later epistles. Yahweh changed all that. Yahweh knocked him down when he was on the road to Damascus. Paul wasn't looking for the Messiah. The Messiah was looking for Paul or Saul of Tarsus. The lowest of the low, the basest of the base, the barbarianist of the barbarians had been changed into a new creation in the Messiah. Albert Barnes puts it so beautifully in his commentary on Colossians 3.11. Albert Barnes was a Presbyterian minister. He wrote this, quote, The name Scythian was almost synonymous with barbarian, for they were regarded as a wild and savage race. The meaning here is that even such a ferocious and uncivilized people were not excluded from the gospel, but they were as welcome as any other and were entitled to the same privileges as others. No one was excluded because he belonged to the most rude and uncivilized portion of mankind. End of quote. Now you may think that you don't measure up and you may look at yourself as coming from nothing. And you may think my life is a mess and I've done so many wrong things. And you know what? Here's the truth. You don't measure up. And Brother Matthew doesn't either. We're all sinners who have come from nothing. But brothers and sisters, now in Christ, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter anymore. You get a whole new family in Christ. You get a whole new name. You're a son or a daughter of Yahweh now. doesn't matter what you've been through or what you've done. If you're saved in Christ, old things have passed away. Every bad thing that you did or every bad thing that you have experienced can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of Yahweh. We are all one in the Messiah. The Jew has no advantage over the Greek. The rich has no advantage over the poor. The Hebrew has no advantage over the Scythian. As John Newton once wrote, quote, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Brothers and sisters, you'll never see Christ as a great Savior if you see yourself as a little sinner. But when you begin to see with the eyes of Yahweh yourself in your own nature as a great sinner, then you'll love Christ because then He'll be a great Savior. Now, Jews and Greeks still exist just like males and females. Remember I talked about last week that just because there's no distinction in value or no distinction in or advantage in salvation between males and females, males and females still exist. We still have different roles and functions in life and in church, in the home and in church. And Jews and Greeks still have roles and functions in the body of the Messiah. And they're not the same. And I'll use me as an example. Brother Matthew is not going to take King David's place in the kingdom. King David already has that place assigned. And rest assured, his function and his role in the kingdom will be greater than Matthew Jansen. Same thing with Prophet Moses and Prophet Elijah. Remember when the apostles, some of the apostles saw the vision on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Yeshua and they saw Prophet Moshe that represented the law and they saw 
prophet Eliyahu. He represented the prophets. They saw them in that vision. They have roles and functions in the kingdom and their role and their function in the kingdom of Yahweh is going to be greater than Matthew Jansen's. They each have special roles. But you know what? Even if Matthew Jansen is but a doorkeeper in the kingdom, I'll still be in the kingdom. That might be my role. That might be my function. But I'll still be there. Because in advantage and in value in Christ, I am equal with Prophet Moses, I am equal with Prophet Elijah, and I am equal with King David. And if you're in Christ, so are you. There's no advantage or greater value in Christ. Oh, what a blessed truth it is, and oh, what a weight that it lifts off of a person like me who feels like they're just not good enough to amount to anything. But it doesn't matter who you are in the natural. It matters who you are in the Spirit. Remember last week, Yeshua said, Who is my mother and my brother? Those that do the will of my Father in heaven. It matters who you are in the Spirit. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. Romans 2, 28-29 Yahweh did not choose you because of anything in you. He did not look down through time and see how good that you were going to be. He did not choose you because of your last name. He did not choose you because of the color of your skin. He did not choose you because you had so much wealth. He did not choose you because you were a male or you were a female. Yahweh chose you and He changed you because He is Yahweh and He used His free will to do that. He can do anything that He wants to. Psalm says, whether in heaven or on the earth. You had nothing to do with it. Therefore, all the glory goes to Yahweh. And we don't get any. Brothers and sisters, this truth, as I close, this truth has changed my life. This truth has helped me see with the eyes of the Messiah. And this message today is very important to me because it is a preparatory sermon for what I will be talking about next week. I'm going to use my sermon next week to share a personal testimony of what has happened in my life in the past three years or so. And it will not be easy for me to share. And some parts I feel will be embarrassing for me to talk about. But because this is, this is the congregation that I shepherd, I will share in hopes of breaking others free from what I believe are the satanic chains of false teaching. So we'll talk more about this next week. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank You so much for everything that You do. Father Yahweh, help us to see every person from the oldest to the youngest of the same value in the Messiah. Help us, Yahweh, to not treat people differently just because of the way they talk or looked or because of the way they may have acted before they came to the Messiah. Let us see them with the eyes of Christ. Let us see them as equal in Christ. Help me, Yahweh. Help me, Father Yahweh, to see every person that I meet as a possible candidate for a son or a daughter of Yahweh. Help me, Yahweh, to witness with love 
Father Yahweh, with sincerity. Father, with truth. And then help me, Yahweh, Father, to just sit back and let you do the saving. I love you, Yahweh. I love your son, Yeshua. I'm so thankful to be part of your family. I'm thankful to be a son of Yahweh by adoption. Bring us back here next week, Yahweh. Help me this week. Get my mind right. Get my heart right. Help me, Yahweh, in what I want to talk about next week. For it's through your Son that I pray. Amen. Amen.